I told first service, uh, happy fall, y'all, 90 degrees almost. Anybody else ready for fall weather? Come on. Thank you. Man, I do not like hot weather anyway, but it's not about me. Um, Hey, welcome. If you're new with us today, I just want to say hello to you. If you're joining us online, welcome to you. I think Annie said it, but if you're joining us online, you've never been with us, we would love to have you. Uh, Church, would we love to have them? We'd love to have them. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Well, hey, go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your physical Bible, if you have a Bible app, if not, it'll be on the screens. I'm going to dig into that here in just a little bit. We started a new series last week called Normalized, and this whole idea was one of prayer. Early in the year, um, Jacob just made a comment that we need to normalize prayer. Kind of our, our little um, mantra surrounding this idea of normalizing prayer, uh, we had a little bit of fun with it. We wanted to say, make prayer great again. <laughs> because that's really what we want. That's what we want as believers. That's what we want for our church. That's what we want for all of us is this idea of making prayer normal. I don't know about you, but like sometimes the, the simplest things in this faith walk that we have almost aren't so simple. And for us, we're like, we just want to make prayer normal again. This idea of communing with God, the ability that we get, the opportunity that we get to do that. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to continue with it. We're going to kind of come at this from a little bit of a different angle. But I want to ask you a question because I want to have a little bit of fun this morning. Uh, this is a question. I need some audience participation. You can just do it by raising your hand if you want. Um, for some of you, you may not want to raise your hand because you're afraid I'll call on you. I'm not going to call on you. But what I want to know is, does anybody have a story? You're not going to come up and tell it. Don't worry. Do you have a story in your life that you could only attribute to the providential hand of God acting on your life? Anybody? Awesome. Cool. Um, so, what I, I love to hear it, for one, all right? But maybe it's a story that you're riding in your car and it began to spin out of control and it magically corrected. Maybe it's a story that you or someone you know was miraculously healed. Um, or maybe you have a story and you have yet to even tell that story out of fear that you're going to sound crazy. We're going to get the crazy out of the way and I'm going to tell you my story this morning, Okay. Uh, My story is nothing like super earth-shattering or anything like that. It's just one of those stories that I just know that I know that I know that God's hand was in it, okay? That, that, That there was something that happened, that an angel was there, it was, it's crazy, and you're probably gonna be like, that's kind of a boring story, Bart. Well, hey, you know what? It's really not, okay? Because it happened to me, all right? And so here's my story, okay? The gym that I used to go to is a small gym is down in Hobstadt, and I'm going to kind of just set this, the tone or, or, or the kind of the, the context of this. Um, I was on a, a machine, it's called a seated row machine because you sit and you row, okay? It's for your back, it's not complicated. But right behind my left, back here, was the doorway into the bathroom, okay? And behind me to my right was the doorway into the cardio room, and literally right behind me was a wall, Okay? And so there was this older gentleman who was in there a lot of the same time that I was. We'd always chit-chat back and forth. And he, we'd already talked that day, and he was on the other side of the gym. And 
so I, I load up the plates as my first working set. So, I mean, it was a, a decent amount of weight, I suppose. And, and as I'm pulling it, the next thing I know, I'm waking up on the floor. I'm gasping for breath. The breath was knocked out of me. I kind of blacked out. I had no idea what was going on. And this, this guy was standing over me. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I think. And my back's killing me and I can't breathe, but yeah. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, you tell me. And he goes, well, the cable snapped. I'm like, because I'm strong, dude. I just broke the cable. And, <laughs> no, and uh, but it, the cable needed replaced. And he's like, how did you end up in here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And as I'm raising up, what I realize is from my torso up, I'm in the cardio room. So the, you don't pull the weight to the side. You pull it straight back. So I should have flown directly off through the wall. But instead, I believe providential hand of God, angel, something took me, moved me two steps to the right, and my trajectory continued backwards, and I, I landed in the cardio room. Now, I don't know why. I've actually wondered that for a long time. Like, it's a super cool story. I've told people that story, but why? Like, I'm thinking, maybe if I would have hit the wall, it would have hurt less. I don't know. But then I'm like, was there a live wire in the wall? Would I have been electrocuted, or was it just so that I could tell this story today, or to save the gym owner some money and not having to repair drywall. I don't know. Uh, but it's one of those stories that I know that I know that I know that it had nothing to do with me because I didn't have time to react. Now, can I make you believe that it was an angel that knocked me to the right before I went through that wall? No. Um, can I make you believe that it was God acting in that situation? No, but I can tell you what scripture has to say, especially about angels. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who, who will inherit salvation? You make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're promised that angels will minister to you. Jesus himself was out in the wilderness, tempted, right? And then when Satan left him, it said the angels came to minister to him. And so when it comes to this idea of being a believer or inheriting salvation through Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus is the Lord of heaven. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the Lord of the angels. You see, I realize that the longer I do this whole Jesus following thing, uh, the longer I do it, the more I realize that there's so much more going on that I can't see with my spiritual eyes. Matter of fact, I would be so bold as to say that I believe that the spiritual realm is more real than our physical realm. You know, I always joke and I say, I think The Matrix was a documentary <laughs> because I feel like there's a lot more going on that we just can't see. God created us, and John, in John 4, says that God is spirit. We have a spirit, but we see flesh. We see the physicality of this world. And I think that's why spiritual matters freak people out. Because we can't see it, right? We read about it in the Bible. You may have had a spiritual experience. As a matter of fact, I would just say this too, and you've probably heard me say this before. I don't believe that we are physical beings having a spiritual experience. I think we can come here, and we just got done with some awesome worship, right? And we can go out of here talking about how awesome it was, how spiritual it was. But we're only thinking about that from our physical perspective. When I believe that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience, because what I do know is that the physical will waste away, the spiritual is eternal. But because we can't see it, it freaks people out. And what's crazy 
is that people get freaked out when we talk about the Holy Spirit of God. Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God. Has anybody read Forgotten God? Awesome. Fantastic book. Read it. Uh, But the tagline is reversing our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit of God freaks us out, weirds us out, we can't really explain it because we can't see it. We can see Jesus, right? I mean, we read about him. We know he was here on the earth. If the Holy Spirit of God freaks people out, what about the things that Ephesians 6 talks about? Principalities, rulers, authorities, uh, cosmic powers of the darkness. Jesus uh, drove demons out of people, unclean spirits. If the, the triune Godhead... The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if that weirds us out, how much more weirded out are we by the spiritual enemy that we fight every single day? When we pray, who are we praying to? We're praying to God the Father through Jesus, in Jesus' name, right? Jesus said, you know, the, the, the disciples are like, teach us how to pray. And he says, our Father who art in heaven. Again, God is Spirit. According to Pew Research Center, of U.S. adults believe in God, but a third of that 80% don't believe in the biblical God. That's interesting. So 80% of of, of U.S. citizens believe in God, in a God, in the God, whoever God is to them, but a third don't believe in the biblical God. But what I think is really interesting is out of those who believe in God, 77% believe that he has protected them. That means 3% of all people who believe in a God or God, only 3% don't believe that he's ever protected them in any way, shape, or form. I found this interesting because what I realized by reading this, these statistics, is that my gym story isn't so uncommon. And I'd be willing to bet that some of you have a story that you haven't told before, and I would absolutely love to hear it. Uh, I did not share this first service because it didn't happen until after first service, but I met with a lady, or a lady just came up to me out in the lobby. Her name is Stephanie, and I know she wouldn't care to tell me, or that I told this story uh, because she was so excited. I don't blame her a bit. Um, Stephanie, she uh, has been going through cancer treatments, and she's had a few different issues with cancer, um, but her thyroid was extremely enlarged. It wasn't cancerous, but they went in and they removed it. And when they did that, she completely lost her voice. And when she lost her voice, they told her she was going to become a mute. And so she began learning sign language, okay? This is like, this was about three, or I mean six, seven weeks ago or so. So then she tells me this story. Please hear me. She tells me this story that her grandfather, who's a, who's a pastor, 88 years old, is dying. He's in the hospital. And she goes in to visit him, and uh, he asks her to pray over him. She can't because she has no voice. And he said, hey, there's some things I need you to tell some people, and so I need you to go do that. And she's scared because she's like, I can't. I can't tell them. I will have to write it down, sign it, however. And so she goes home that night. And she begins to pray that God would heal her voice so that she can do what her grandfather's asked her to do. And God healed her voice completely that night. And I'm a witness of that because I just experienced that 35 minutes ago out in the lobby. It was awesome. Well, in 2 Kings 6, there's a story that I've wanted to preach about for a couple of years now. I just love this story. 
And as we sat down and really started looking at the remainder of the year and the sermons that we were going to preach in the sermon series, uh, when we talked about the, the idea of normalize, the idea of normalizing prayer, this one, I'm like, I finally, I finally get to do it. I'm going I'm to preach on this one. And so follow along with me. We're going to be in 2 Kings 6, verses 8 through 23. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a such, a such place. The man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha, who's the man of God in this story, warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. Who's, who's the mole? Who's the dirty guy here is what he's saying. None of us, my lord, or my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, yeah, God talks to him, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom, the things you say in private, he's telling the king of Israel. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. Keep that in mind, they want to capture Elisha. We'll come back to that. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded Dothan. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Elisha's servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I'd imagine by this point, Elisha's servant's probably like, dude, you're full of it because look, all around us, there is an army and they are here to capture us. We've got no one. We're done for. But verse 17, and Elisha prayed. And this is the verse that just amps me up. This is what I really want us to see this morning. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Lord, he's looking with his flesh. Give him spiritual eyes to see the true reality of what's going on here. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And what we're seeing here is we're seeing the heavenly hosts, the heavenly army, the angelic army. And this is my favorite part of the story because it's, it's such faith that Elisha has. Some versions of the Bible will say, Lord, please open his eyes. I chose this one because I don't think he said that. I think it was such faith. He knew God would act. He believed it and he received it. He was saying, God, open his eyes that he may see what's really going on. I told Jacob that I was going to use some of his points from last week. It's not something that we typically do. Um, but I'll, I'll just say, man, I was so impressed by Jacob's message last week. I told him I think it's the best one he's ever preached. There was such passion behind it. If you weren't here, you didn't watch online, you got to go back, okay? You got to go back and watch it. You can, you can click offline now and go watch his first, okay? If you're on Facebook, go watch it. But I was taking notes in my phone as fast as my thumbs could type. And one of the things that he said, and it wasn't even a point that he put on the screen, it was his commentary to that point, but I caught it. Is my favorite thing. He said, God is not absent from the world he created. It's a great reminder. God created this world. Why would he not be part of it? And we're reminded of that in this story. 
God created them. Those were his people. And he made sure to show up by sending his heavenly host to protect them. I'm going to touch on a couple more of his points, but I want to finish his story first. Verse 18, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So God struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. What faith? God, strike them with blindness. You've already opened the servant's eyes that he can see the reality of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Now I'm, I'm asking you to strike this physical army, uh, strike their physical eyes with blindness so they can't see us. Now this next part's funny. Elisha told them, the Aramean army, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. It's funny because their job was to go capture Elisha. Elisha says, blind them. So he's like basically, hey, blind guys, yeah, follow me and I'll lead you to me, but to the guy you're looking for. They didn't even realize it was him that was saying it. So where do they go? They end up in Samaria. Where's Samaria located? Israel. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. So now he's asking the God to open their physical eyes. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. I'm sure at this point they're like, oh dang, we're done for. We're now in enemy territory. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Now this has nothing to do with the message today, but it's interesting that that line right there, because what's, what you have to understand is that the king was held in extreme high regard, but prophets in those days were actually held even higher than the king. And so the king is actually submitting to the prophet of God and saying, hey, we've got them. Should I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. The reason that Elisha and the king did not have the army killed here, the reason that they set this great meal before them was they were expressing confidence in God's ability to control the situation. In other words, Israel had nothing to fear because they had faith in God's ability to protect them. And in the ancient Near Eastern culture, they would eat together two different sides, two different um, opposing armies or two different opposing nations. Uh, when they would eat together, it was an understood covenant that they were making, a covenant of peace. And so what they understood was, hey, listen, we've got them. They came after us, okay? We've got them. We can kill them and get rid of the threat. But in reality, they knew that it could just cause a, a larger war to wage on. And so the whole idea was, hey, we're going to take care of them. We're going to send them back. We're going to show them mercy. We're going to show them grace, just like our Heavenly Father does to us. And by doing so, we will have a time of peace. In fact, look at the last sentence. The Aramean raiders did not come into Israel's land again. Anybody like cartoons? Yeah? Cool. Do you want to watch a cartoon, Stephanie? Okay. I have a video to show you. I was looking. I love this scene. I love this idea of what we just read and, and how there's this great uh, heavenly host army of angels and on fire and chariots and all this. I'm like, so I just started Googling pictures to, to try to depict it. I'm a visual learner. I thought I'd show a picture. And then I really did it justice. And then I remembered 
There's this cartoon that I let my daughter watch because it's like the greatest, most biblically accurate cartoon that I found. It's called Superbook. I don't know if anybody's seen Superbook. A couple of you, okay? If not, watch it. I, uh, I, I let... I, I let her watch it with me because I like it. Um, but anyway, it's a two minute long clip, so humor me while you check this out. Awesome, right? Anybody else get goosebumps whenever all the angels showed up? Somebody after first service said, I'm mad at you. I'm like, why? Because like, you didn't show the rest of it. I'm like, I had a message to preach. Uh, no, it's, it's awesome. But what I love about that is that's our reality. But yet it's not because we don't allow it to be. We don't, we don't think it. We can't see it. We're blind to it. You know, there is more going on in the spiritual realm than what we realize, especially when we pray. I think if we had a clue as to what really happens when we pray, that our whole thought process of prayer would completely change. The way that we would pray, the, 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 the way that we would pray and the faith that we would have behind it would be completely transformed. I told you I was going to come back to a couple of Jacob's points from last week. I want to remind you that one, God is not absent from the world he created. But one of the other things that he said was that God initiates we respond, and he responds to our response. You know, not only does God open the servant's eyes, but he also responds with his heavenly army. Now, did God send the Aramean army in this story? I don't know about that, but the prompting was there. 
The prompting was there. The opportunity was there for prayer to be had. That's exactly what Elisha did. And by responding to what was going on, God then responds to Elisha's response by sending the heavenly army. I kind of want to wrap this up by going through three points today that I came up with. So if you're a note taker, here you go. Um, Number one is pray bold prayers. Okay, pretty simple until it comes time to doing it. Pray bold prayers. Another one of Jacob's points from last week was that when we pray, we have access to heaven's resources. And the reason that I wrote this one down, because I have been taking notes for this message for a few weeks now, and it lined up so perfectly with one of the things that I had written down. So I told him I was just going to tack something on to it. So again, when we pray, we have access to heaven's resources, but also prayer is our ability to connect heaven and earth, to make the abnormal normal and to make the supernatural natural. Obviously, we see this with the chariots of fire and and they save Elisha and his servant and all of Israel, you know, from, from the servant's eyes being opened to the blinding of the enemy to the reopening of their eyes. It's all an amazing thing, but it's all because Elisha had the faith and the boldness to ask for that and prayer, but he also believed that it would happen. We see amazing things happen all throughout scripture of people praying bold prayers. Um, there's, a, there's a quote I wanted to share with you by Mark Batterson, and he says, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God is not offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. I don't believe that last sentence really, um, but I know what the point he's trying to get across here. Pray bold prayers. God honors that. Don't, don't pray. If, if you don't pray a bold prayer, where's the faith behind it really? You know, there's an, I'll give you an example of this. Two Wednesdays ago, we went and had a lunch meeting with um, the lead pastor and the soon-to-be campus pastor um, of Bethany Church up in Washington, but the, the campus pastor uh, of Princeton. They're opening a new, a new uh, campus in Princeton, uh, let's see, next, uh, two weeks from today. And we just wanted to go and meet with them, get to know them, and, and really just kind of ask, what is it that you guys need prayer for? We're doing this 24 hours of prayer and worship thing. We would love to know what we can pray for you as a church about. And as we were talking to him, we, just got, we were just going back and forth. And um, what's really cool, and a lot of you will remember this guy. Um, do you guys remember Scott Shipman? He's preached here twice this year. Yeah, long goatee, spiky hair, wears a Hawaiian shirt when he preaches. Okay, uh, Such a funny guy. Scott is the founder. He's the one who started helping his hands ministries up in Vincennes. Um, well, so what's cool is when Bethany decided to plant another campus in Vincennes, they, uh, Scott came to them and said, hey, I need this building you need a church, how about we join forces? And they bought this building and they kind of split it and so it's kind of half and half. And so they know Scott, they have a great relationship with Scott and so he was having a conversation with Scott and if you've watched Scott preach, this is gonna come as no surprise to you, but that dude is a little eccentric, right? He is like out there, he is on fire for Jesus and he has, he's just so much fun to be around. Well, so whenever the lead pastor, um, Matt, he was saying, well, what do you need? What are your needs? What can we pray for you about? And Scott said, well, I've been praying that God would give us two 747 jets. And Matt's like, why would you need two? And he goes, well, one to fly around the world in for disaster relief, and then the other one just for parts. And Matt goes, 
Scott, you realize it costs $28 million a year just to operate a 747, right? And Scott's, re- Scott's re- response was, so? I'm praying. I've done my part. You know? And it's funny because that's who he is. He really truly believes that God can act because he's seen it happen. Now, does this mean that God's going to give you anything you ask him? Because after all, it was Jesus himself that spoke these words in Matthew 21. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Right? Jesus said that. Problem is, we like to pick verses out that fit our narrative and our agenda. If we would read surrounding verses or other things that Jesus said, we would see that's not necessarily the case. Because if we're not careful, we can read a scripture like that and start to rub our hands together like we're treating God as a genie and rubbing the bottle, right? If we're not careful, we'll forget scriptures like 1 John 5, 14, and 15 that I'm going to share with you. But it actually leads into my second point, and that is pray for God's will. Look what John says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, what does that say, church? Thank you, Anita. According to his will. We have this confidence that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. John Piper, another pastor who's, he's like the grandpa you'd always want. That's how I feel about him. He's like so soft-spoken. But his, the way he writes is so awesome. He says, prayer is to bring our lives into conformity with the desires of God, not to ask him for the wherewithal to consort with the world. Prayer is not for the satisfying and gratifying of natural desires until those natural desires come into the service of the hallowing of God's name, the seeking of God's kingdom, and the doing of God's will. The reason I love this quote is does that mean that God doesn't care about what we care about? Like, I love the quote, but then I, I read it, I'm like, wait, the whole conformity thing, it's not, it's not meant for that. So does, it, does that mean that God doesn't care about the things that we care about? What do we call God? We call him our heavenly what? Father. I'll get to that. Number three, pray specifically and consistently knowing that God cares. Simple way to put it is to pray in faith. You see, we were created to image God. God is our heavenly father. But you know what? I too am a father of a little girl. And just like our heavenly father, I get to take care of my child. And I absolutely love it when my daughter comes to me with anything. When she falls and she, she hits her knee and she comes crying, dad, dad, and she puts her arms out and she just wants me to tell her it's okay and to scoop her up and to kiss her knee to make it feel better. Um, right now she's doing this thing where when she hears a train, we live on the opposite side of town, but you can hear the train sometimes. And, and it's amazing how kids just figure things out. Like she knows that if something's going on outside in order to see it, she just has to go to the window. So for her, she thinks, I hear a train and she'll go and point at the window and she want me to take her to the window. I'm like, baby, I can't show you. There's, it's not there. We live too far away. But I, I continue to do it. And I explain to her, well, it's not, it's not here, but you can hear it. Um, she'll go to the 
uh, freezer. We got like the side-by-side refrigerator freezer. And she'll go to the freezer and she'll try to, she'll be like, Ugh! and she'll try to pull it open. And she'll be like, more, more. And she wants more because we have a bag of chocolate chips inside of our freezer. And she knows that if daddy opens it up for her, she can reach her hand in there and grab what used to be a couple. And now it's like the biggest handful that she can grab. She's figured it out. Don't worry, they're organic, okay? Uh, there's it reminds me of a, of a saying I heard that organic junk food is still junk food, hipsters, okay? So, but the point is, is that she knows that I care about what she cares about, even if the answer's no. Because I'd say at least three times a day she's trying to get chocolate chips out of me, all right? But I've heard it said that God answers prayer one of three ways. Yes, no, and not yet. But do you know what telling her no doesn't do to her? It doesn't keep her from coming to me asking anyway. It doesn't keep her from coming to me time and time again, letting me know the desires of her heart. She will bring to me the same toy over and over again. There's this like little set of binoculars that we have, and she always puts them on backwards so they don't work correctly, and I try to teach her, and and she brings it to me multiple times a week. And do you think that I get annoyed? No. I pretend like it's the first time I've ever seen those binoculars. All because I care about what she cares about. Can I give you a freeing statement this morning? And for some of you, this is going to be the only statement or the only point that you remember from today. Um, it's not going to be on the screen since I added this in here last minute over the weekend, actually. But it's this. God can handle our crap. Okay? Now, that sounds funny, um, but it's true. Um, Paul used a similar word in Scripture, but there's a reason that I specifically use that word. Um, and that is because one thing that we have found that Riley absolutely loves is blueberries. And I said, we better slow down on the blueberries or else we might regret it. I was getting ready to leave the other day and I was taking her with me and I got a whiff of something. And I'm like, hmm, let's just say I was right. We shouldn't have gave her so many blueberries. And because they ran through her, let me tell you. And it was a huge mess that I had to clean up right when I was getting ready to leave. Super inconvenient timing. But you know what? I didn't condemn her for it. I didn't tell her, how dare you do that? No, her daddy could handle the crap, just like our Heavenly Father can handle ours. How many times do we come to God with the same request over and over again, right? God, why aren't you answering? Maybe the answer is yes, no, not yet. But we do that. And I think sometimes we could even stop doing it because we lose faith or maybe we think that we're annoying God. But Jesus actually gives a parable about this in Luke chapter 11. I want to read you what he says. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Other versions of your Bible, maybe you read it, it says shameless persistence. Because of our shameless persistence, our shameless boldness to our heavenly Father, it's not that he's gonna give in out of annoyance, 
is that he sees the desire and the faith behind it. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And the idea of Jesus' parable here is to remain steadfast in our prayers, to remain persistent, to come to him with boldness and faith. So back to the idea of my daughter, I want to give you an example of a prayer that I prayed for almost a year that really encompasses all three of these things, to pray bold prayers, to pray for God's will and pray specifically and consistently knowing that God cares. See, I remember the time because we had just got back from this life transforming trip to the Holy Land, to Israel. So it was February of 2019. And a lot of you might know this about me. I never desired to have kids. Like I liked your kids, okay, from afar. <laughs> I did not want kids of my own. Never didn't have the desire. And then in one night, in an instant, God literally changed my heart. There's a whole story behind that too that I won't share, but he changed my heart in a, in a moment. And so I began to pray very specifically, very boldly, because I wanted a child. So I began to pray, God, give us a child. A mentor of mine told me later on that the reason I had that desire for a child was because God placed that desire in my heart. Therefore, my will and his will were coming into one. And so we got pregnant. So I knew a baby was on the way. But one thing that I knew was I did not want a boy. I wanted a little girl. So I began to pray very boldly, very consistently, with a lot of faith, very specifically, God, give me a little girl. We went to our appointment where they... Um, they did a, a test because some issues run in, in Jackie's side of the family. And, um, and so we had to find out early, but it was going to take a week. And so I walked out of the doctor's office and I literally said, God, if it's a boy, you've got one week to prepare me. And we found out that she was going to be a girl. So after I found out I was going to have a daughter, I began to pray another very bold, specific, and constant, consistent prayer. And that prayer was, you know, God, deductibles are a real thing. And I really would like to have her before the end of the year. I think God has a sense of humor because he said, okay, her due date's December 30th. And I'm like, okay, but she can't be late. And, uh, and so once I found that, I'm like, okay, it's a little bit of a relief, but she can't come late. Um, but that's an answer to prayer. I don't want to pay for all these doctor visits and then repay it all when she's born, if she were born in January. And so I began to pray very specifically, very boldly. God, it sure would be cool if she was born on Christmas Day because I love Christmas. And I thought, how cool would that be if she was born on Christmas Day? I know that's way out there, but you know what? You've answered them so far. And the night we went to the hospital was right after we had our Christmas services here. And then that very night, we went in at midnight and had some complications and it spent more time in there than we thought. One of the nurses even said, I don't even know why you're still here. Like, you shouldn't even be here. You should be going home and then coming back. We're like, we don't either. We're just doing what we're told. And so we stayed for a little bit. And I said, okay, God, it, you know, it's a lot of time between now and then. Maybe Christmas Eve, that would be cool. And so some more things kind of went wrong, but she's 
She was very healthy, but all that to say at 3.48 on Christmas morning, my daughter was born, Riley Noel. And listen, I'm not telling you that to tell you that when you pray that God's gonna give you what you want. What I'm telling you is I just didn't give up. Like, why can't God do something big? Even if he wouldn't have, I wouldn't have any less faith in him. But he did it. If you read the whole story of Elisha or any of the other prophets, you're going to see that they prayed boldly, specifically, consistently for God's will to be done. So my question is, out of these three things, which one of them do you need to apply to your life? Maybe it's one of them, maybe it's all of them, but which one of them do you need to pray more specifically to your prayer life? You know, I, I, I can only go off of what I can see with my daughter. And I see a whole lot of parents in this room. And I know that you welcome your children, you welcome their questions, and you welcome their desires and their wants. And you know that some of them are just flat out silly, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't care about them. And our Heavenly Father cares about us. So concerning this idea of prayer, two things I want to bring up. One are 24 hours of prayer and worship. That'll be taking place this next weekend. It will start off with a a worship night from 7 to 8. A lot of you have been part of our worship nights before. It's a great time. Come out to that. You can stay afterward as we begin the the whole thing. 24 hours of prayer and worship. Now, with that being said, and I know Annie talked about it a little bit, but we have a banner right out there in the hallway, right across the, the, law, the lobby out there. And I want to challenge you to get signed up on one of those spots out there. 24 hours, four spots per hour, 96 people, absolute minimum that we want here. We want hundreds, but there's still a few spots left. And whatever you don't take, we have to take. <laughs> We're going to be here anyway. Um, but I would love it. We would love it if you would go out there and fill that out. Um, One hour, uh, people have asked, hey, do I got to pray in front of people? No, we're not even going to allow that because we want it to be very private, very intimate. We're going to have prayer stations all throughout the room uh, from things like missionaries to local churches to local ministries, all our church, all kinds of things you can be praying over. 24 hours of people like Heather Debo up here, playing the, the whatever, they're gonna, they're all kinds of different instruments, um, singing, ultimately, all of this is to minister to God and to also pray in what we call intercessory prayer, to pray on behalf of other people. Which leads me into my last thing is every week we have a prayer team that comes forward. They're gonna come up here as I pray and I wanna invite you to come forward and, and pray with them. Uh, I was in an elders meeting this week, and one of the elders who's on that team was just commenting on what an honor it is to be able to pray with, our, with the body, with, with all of you. Um, I was reminded of this last week during child dedications when I saw the Gillette family up here dedicating their child to the Lord. And I remember six, eight months ago, them coming forward, and I was actually praying that day, and and they didn't even come. We did pray over the health of the baby, but uh, really they came forward and just thanked God for the gift that they were receiving. And it was a really cool thing. And that all prayer has to be asking. They just wanted to come forward and celebrate with me, with the Lord. And it was a really cool time. And I was reminded of that conversation, that prayer last week when I watched child dedications. And so they'll be up here after service. If you need prayer for anything, you know someone who could, um, come forward, receive prayer. So prayer, go out there, get signed up as you leave. 
And again, if you're new with us today, stop by those orange tables. Um, We would love to meet you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for who you have um, made us become. Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, the great gift of salvation. Father, I pray that if there's anything at all that we need to implement into this life of prayer, um, that we would do so. But ultimately, it would be driven by faith, our faith in you. Uh, I pray for any doubts to escape our minds and our hearts, and that we would come to you um, as who we are, your children, and who you are, our awesome, holy Father. We thank you for who you are. You get all the glory, all the honor, all the power. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for putting up with me today. I'll see you next time.